Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hey, everyone. Mara, we have even more casting news to report from Days of Our Lives. Lamone Archie and Sal Stowers, who play the super popular duo Eli and Lonnie, will both be leaving the canvas on July 1st. Now, to be clear, this is their choice. The actors explain in an in-depth interview we have in an upcoming issue that they love their time on Days, but it was time to see what else was out there. For Lamone, he's on one of my favorite shows, All-American, and like Marcy Miller told us, was unable to stay in a recurring capacity on Days. And Sal also couldn't remain recurring, so we will be saying goodbye to that pair shortly. Now on the returning side, we're gonna see George Del Hoyo back as Orpheus and Brock Kelly as Evan, so expect prison drama aplenty. Now over at General Hospital, Morgan Fairchild, who we most recently saw on Days as Angelica Devereaux, will visit Port Charles in a very special role. Yes, she is playing Haven de Havilland, the home shopping host who welcomes Sasha to show off Deception's wares on Home and Heart. So Morgan is perhaps most associated with her many primetime roles. Now Morgan is perhaps most associated with her many primetime roles, but she began her television career in the early 1970s on Search for Tomorrow, where she had a four-year run as Jennifer. So daytime soaps have been a through line in her career for sure. And she said she was so gratified to have made it through a very intense dialogue heavy day on the GH set and that she had so many people coming up to her telling her how impressed they were by how well she handled the material. Uh, she really enjoyed working with the Deception Gang including Sophia Matson, Sasha, and Lynn Herring, Lucy. And when she was done filming, she got to hang out in the dressing room of Lisa Cicero, who plays Olivia, and is an old friend of hers, dating back to when Morgan played Sydney Chase on The City, where Lisa played Jocelyn. Another member of the Home and Heart team that we'll see this coming week is the character of Flora, played by One Life to Live vet Susan Batten, ex-Luna. So Susan has mostly been focused on her writing career in recent years, but she told me that during the pandemic, she really started craving the feeling of connection that comes with being part of an acting company. And so she jumped at the chance to do this guest stint on GH. Uh, now we're also gonna see some big story moments happening next week all across the dial. So on days, Bell and EJ will make love, which I feel if you had told me that was happening a year ago, I would have been totally shocked. 
Um, we <laughs> actually have an item with Martha Madison who plays Belle in the new issue, and she is very excited about the story, but admits she is quite prepared for some fan backlash, uh, not to mention what will happen if Sammy finds out. Uh, on Bold and Beautiful, Quinn will race to try to stop Carter from marrying Paris. On General Hospital, Esme will blackmail Nicholas over the fact that they shared a night of passion. And on Young and the Restless, Victoria is forging ahead with her plans with Ashlyn. But while juicy things may be happening on all the shows, there's a lot of off-camera excitement as well, with the 49th Annual Daytime Emmy Awards scheduled to air tonight live on CBS at 9 o'clock. Yes, for the first time since the onset of COVID, the awards are going to be fully live and in person, and I'm really excited to see all the glamour of the red carpet and obviously I cannot wait to find out which shows and which performers will take home the gold. Uh, having sat in the audience for many Emmys in years past, right next to Stephanie Sloan, I can certainly attest to the fact that there is just such a special and unique energy in the room when the telecast gets underway and those statues start getting handed out. I'm just like preemptively happy for all of the winners and the memories that they're going to make tonight. Oh, me too. It is always one of the best nights of the year. Now, our guest today is no stranger to the Daytime Emmys. In fact, he is the most nominated actor in Daytime Emmy history. It's Peter Bergman, who plays Jack on Young and the Restless. So let's check in with him to see how he's doing before the big night. Hi, Peter. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to, nice to see you ladies again. Nice to hear your voices. And uh, it's been a little while. Yes. It has indeed. We are so excited. And our first podcast with you remains one of our all-time favorites. And at the end, we noted that we barely scratched the surface with you and would definitely need a part two. So we are so let's thrilled. Dig, let's dig a little deeper, shall yeah. we? That's right. We are excited to continue this conversation. And we want to begin, of course, by congratulating you on your latest daytime Emmy nomination. So to say this is not your first rodeo would be an understatement indeed. It is your 23rd and you are the most daytime Emmy nominated actor in history. So first of all, what is your reaction to that remarkable statistic? I am, I am humbled by it. Uh, I, I mean, really genuinely humbled by it. I, I just talked to, to Brighton, one of the actors here, who's also nominated uh, uh, in the supporting actor category. And, uh, and I said, you know, this is as good as it gets right now. This is uh, um, uh, all this means. And, you know, this means this means this much. The people who do what we do decided, yeah, he's one of the better ones. That's a pretty cool thing. That feels great. I, I like the sound of that. I like the feel of that. And if it goes no farther than this, I feel really good about people deciding, yeah, he's one of the good ones. Well, we had uh, Jeannie Francis on the podcast recently, and she spoke of her deep admiration for you as a person and as an actor. And she also said how much it intimidated her to see all of your nomination certificates hanging up in your, your dressing room. So is it just it, a blur? It's, it's, it's worth saying, I didn't mean to interrupt, Mara, but it's worth saying, yes, they are hanging up in my dressing room, in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's certainly, that certainly inflects my, my question, which is wondering if it's just a blur of decor to you at this point, or if you ever have like an emotional reaction when you see this physical representation of how many years you've found yourself up for this honor. So, so it, I, I don't uh, get to, to, to stop and look at it too often. Separated from the others, 
is the first nomination I ever got from all my children. And uh, and there was something quite special about that. Uh, I couldn't go to the Emmys that year because I was doing theater. I was doing some Shakespeare um, at the time. I was doing a, a production of As You Like It, and I couldn't go to the Emmys. And I think Bob Woods won that year. And uh, and uh, but but yeah, I, when I when I see them, I sometimes think, is this just a little too busy? And uh, and, uh, and and of course, that isn't getting better. That's uh, the busy problem is getting worse. It's a, a good problem to have. I was going to say, good problem to have. Yes. Now, to be considered one of the good ones, you not only have to be a great actor, but you have to be great at putting together a reel. So, how do you approach the task, and what do you think makes a great reel? So uh, I judge in these things, and what I want to see is someone touch me. I want to see some range, and I want to see connection, real connection. Uh, uh, those are the people I vote for, whether they're crazy and trying to connect with somebody or they're... Uh, in, this year is far and away the strangest reel I ever put together. I do not raise my voice once in the whole thing. I will also say that in the last scene of my reel, I'm asleep. Wow. True story. <laughs> um, the, the reel I submitted this year was a show that I did with uh, the amazing Michelle Stafford. And Jack had had maybe one too many glasses of wine and had sent out a text to what he thought was Summer and Kyle. And, uh, and, and Phyllis is on that text. And she worried and came over to check on him. And he's feeling a little lonely. And uh, before the scenes are over, he blurts out that he never stopped loving her and can't do anything about it. And they were just, well, A, Michelle Stafford is brilliant in these scenes. And it was just so tender and real. It was beautifully written. And, and I thought, yeah, if any of my friends never, who never watched the show, watch this reel, I'd be comfortable with them seeing it. And in the end, that's the kind of final arbiter, the final tally if friends of mine who know me well, who just never watched the show that Peter's on, uh, watch that reel, I would be totally comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So Jason Thompson, who plays your brother, Billy, is uh, alongside you, nominated for a lead actor. And you described him to Digest as one of your favorite actors. And I was curious as to what makes him so. A, he's a genuinely lovely human being. Um, I just like the way he relates to me and everyone else. He was at home here so quickly because of who he is. Um, everyone embraced him. Everyone welcomed him. He, 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 he listens. He, he, he asks questions. He's involved. And when you ask him questions, you're always surprised by how perfectly honest he's willing to be with you. You know, you ask about how are things at home, how's family, how the, how the kid thing. And sometimes the responses are so personal and real. I think, wow, this guy is pretty evolved. Yeah. Love that. Um, now you've told Digest that your wife, Mary Ellen, is going to be calm on Emmy night and you're going to be nervous. So having been yeah. up for this award as many times as you have, what are the nerves about for you? You know, in, in the 
And uh, I really want to win. Um, uh, I am competitive. I, I do want to win. As you know, I've lost far, far more than I've won. Um, and you'd think I'd get a lot better at that. But as the as my category approaches, I suddenly think, wait, this could actually happen. Wait, oh, oh yeah, this might. Oh, what? Uh, get your thoughts in order, Peter. If this does happen, you have a lot of people you should thank. And I, I and I kind of that's what nerves are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I start thinking, oh, it's self-conscious. And I wish I, it's the least my least favorite thing to be. But I get self-conscious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that you've perfected your gracious I didn't win face over the years? Or is that always sort of a jarring aspect of being on the, the losing? No, you know, I mean, it, uh, I have had years that I I've had two years, two of those years that I thought if anyone's got a better tape than this, they should win. And it went to somebody I did not expect at all. That happened to me twice. And that probably took one of them was in Vegas, I remember. And, and I didn't recover. I wasn't recovering well. And I said, Mary, you need to get me out of here. And, and we, we left and, and got into a, kind of a dining area that was for the general thing. And what I didn't get was the news that, oh, no, CBS is having a party. Nobody's going to that thing. So Mariel and I kind of sat there alone. And Erica Slazak and her husband, Brian, came running over. God, I shouldn't be telling this story. Oh, God. Uh, came running over and said, Peter, what happened? I said, what? She said, oh, my, I judged your category. That tape knocked me on my butt. Oh, my God. And the winner was probably my third or fourth choice. And uh, I didn't get over it all over again. Um, but, but I learned from that. I learned from that because I took some of the fun away from Mary Ellen, mm -hmm. you know, just come on. It's, you know, it's a crapshoot every year. We're comparing apples and oranges, you know, uh, Eric Martzoff tape is, is demands things that my tape did not. And, and he came through and he was absolutely wonderful. And, you know, he, he wins because uh, he was terrific or, or uh, uh, Jason Thompson is working with, with uh, uh, someone who, who makes his work look so good. Of course he's going to win. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not, it's apples and oranges and it's a bit of a crapshoot. Be happy you got a nomination and be happy you were invited to the party. Mm -hmm. Well, do you think you suffer a little from like you're Peter Bergman? Like everybody knows you, everyone knows your work, and everyone knows how many times you've been nominated. And I think everyone assumes that you've won more than you have. So, do you think possibly think that works against you, maybe a little? And someone might be watching it, thinking he's so good, but let's give it to someone else. He always wins. I've I've heard that theory, and and I I you know I I like I, I because I've sat on these panels more than a few times. Uh, any every one of those nominations I judged uh, in some category, and once you've spent all that time, it's a lot of time. You're putting a lot of time into this, and you want the person with the best reel to win. You really do. I mean, I, maybe there are some people who watch them all and say, oh, no, this is my favorite person or he already has too many or anything like that. After you put in that much time, 
I'd like to think most of the people are just voting for the person who put, had the best reel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. such a mysterious process, I think, every year, you know? It's, yeah. it's hard to, 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 to know what the perfect formula is. Um, so uh, I think for a lot of reasons, Peter, you know, because of how acclaimed your work is, the longevity of your career, the significance of the characters that you've played and the material that you've played on both shows, uh, that you've been on, you know, your your career would be the envy of many an actor. Is there an actor whose career you envy? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I worked with James Mitchell. Um, he was a giant of a guy. You know, he was very shy. I know, you know, for you guys, it was hard to crack that shell. Um, uh, he was a, a genuine influence in my life. Uh, 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 he came to work so very prepared. He acted with his whole body. He was just wonderful. Uh, David Canary uh, was not only a brilliant actor, he was a giant friend to me. Uh, when Marielle and I first came out here and I had that awful feeling that the family's going on without me, well, my, this, this family I love so much in Pine Valley or, you know, going on and having a good time. I get a call from David Canary saying, hey, congratulations on your nomination. We, we're putting a dinner together. You want to come with us? I did 11 of those. 11 uh, uh, Emmy evenings before the Emmy Awards, I sat with David and Mo Canary and Mary Ellen and sometimes Bob Woods and sometimes Susan Lucci and one year Wayne Gretzky. And uh, we we had these just incredibly lovely, meaningful dinners um, and their careers are stunning, you know, James's entire dance career, he, he, you know, what he accomplished going from the dance world to the acting world, very few people pull that off. And then uh, uh, David Canary, I mean, we know about his career and, and uh, uh, his achievements. Yeah, I admire those people a lot. I always admired Slazak. She's, she's just, she's, she's the real deal. She's, uh, you can't, you, you'll never see her force a moment on camera, ever. She, she finds some organic avenue to get in there and she's, she is whatever she says she is. That feeds very nicely into our next set of questions. Now, over the course of your decades in daytime, you've worked closely with many iconic actresses, and we'd love to get your take on a few of them. So we're going to ask you what comes to mind when you think of and hear the following names, the first being Taylor Miller, your first soap wife who played Nina on All My Children. Taylor Miller, uh, they found her at a modeling agency in New York. She had very little acting experience. She was absolutely beautiful, looked like Princess Grace, and and had instincts that she trusted that you just, you fell into her eyes. She was just lovely. And we went through this crazy journey together. We didn't know this was the crest of the daytime wave. We just didn't, we assumed anybody who had a daytime job would show up at malls and 4,000 people would show up. Uh, after putting out, you know, an eight by 11 sign, you know, that Cliff and Nina are going to be here. Um, It was just, it was a crazy time. And we held each other's hand and got through it, never crossed any lines. And so our friendship only grew from that. Our trust in each other only grew from that. Um, uh, I came to really, really respect her as an actress too. 
Marcy Walker, who played Liza on All My Children, who you worked with at the beginning of her career. Marcy Walker and I barely got to, to work together when suddenly her contract was up, ABC had dropped the ball, and off she goes to do Santa Barbara. And the work she did on that show was stunning, just stunning. She and A. Martinez kind of reinvented what a couple is in daytime. I thought they were just magical. And, and I don't know that I knew Marcy was capable of that much. She was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Sorry, New York City's being a little uncooperative today. Um, <laughs> well, your sister on All My Children, Linda, was played by Melissa Leo, who went on to win an Academy Award. So what comes to mind about working with her? Melissa Leo was a knucklehead. She was she was a little loopy, a little crazy. And incidentally, I, I still know her. I still run into her from time to time. Um, but she was a wonderful actress on the show. But off camera had all of these voices and these little things. She babysat her niece or nephew, and she would talk to me the way she talked to them. And it was so incredibly inventive and entertaining. And I thought, she's going to do fine. She's going to do well. Well, she did pretty darn well. And, and the last time, Mariel and I were together at a restaurant here in Los Angeles and saw Melissa and said hello. And what we got back could not have been lovelier. She just gave it away how much I meant to her, how nice I was to her, how much she learned there. And she, she was just, she didn't have to do that. She, it was just, it was really, really lovely. I love that. What about uh, Ms. Debbie Morgan who played Angie? Ms. Debbie Morgan is was a complex, uh, complex actress uh, in many, many ways. Uh, 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 I have her to thank for my job here on Young and the Restless. I'll explain that in a minute. Working with her, though, was this astonishing experience. To the very last minute, you weren't sure if Debbie really knew this scene <laughs> really was ready, really knew how she was going to play things. And they said, okay, ready for taping, stand by. Five, four, three, two. And this woman was amazing. It's like I hadn't met her all day. And suddenly for, ta and suddenly for taping, here's Debbie Morgan. Oh my gosh, so real, so earthy, so honest, so, yeah, she's, she's a wonderful actress. Uh, they had the two of us together on All My Children, and it was a tough time to sell an interracial storyline. And as soon as they got any backlash, ABC kind of backed off from that. It was a disappointment to the two of us, but we kind of got it, you know. It was that, and the audience saw me with Nina and her with Jesse, and they never quite got over that. But I had this audition that I had to go out west for uh, uh, the, literally the day after my last day on All My Children. And about a week, two weeks before, I was sitting with Debbie and I said, I keep getting these calls from the young and the restless. And um, they want me to come out there and replace somebody. She said, wait a second. I watched The Young and the Restless. Are they asking you to audition for Jack Abbott? I said, yeah, that's the name of the role. She said, 
run, don't walk, run to that role. Wow. That's amazing. She, she, she said, she said, you want that role. That's a pivotal role on a show. That is, yeah, that's a seminal pivotal role in a daytime drama. And I went home and told Mary Ellen. And when we called them back and said, yeah, we'll come out and audition for it. I had Debbie Morgan in my ear saying, run. That's amazing. Well, then moving on to a lady who also had a hand in that, uh, at Young and the Restless, Melody Thomas-Scott, who plays Nikki. Melody Thomas-Scott was here the day that I uh, auditioned. I guess they just finished a show. And I came out and did audition scenes with Jess Walton and, and Jerry Douglas. And I guess they they went pretty well. And uh, and Melody, who you know was finished for the day, and she just went into the booth to see this new guy who they were talking about putting her with a little bit. And uh, and she, it turns out, was an All My Children fan. And she, it turns out, um, had um, been in an airplane with her husband as. Uh, her husband, who was the executive producer of The Young and the Restless, Ed Scott. And Ed was saying, boy, I don't know what we're going to do. They had tested a few guys for this role, and they didn't think they had what they wanted. And she had a couple of soap magazines in her lap. And there was a picture of me on the cover saying, all my children, let's Peter Bergman go. I guess it was big enough news that I was on the cover of quite a few magazines saying Peter Bergman gets let go. So uh, anyway, she said, that's Jack Abbott to her husband. He said, well, I'll tell, I'll tell him to call her in, call him in. And sure enough, they called me based on Melody Thomas Scott saying, that's Jack Abbott. How she watched Cliff Warner and decided that's Jack Abbott. I will never fully understand, but, um, Melody Thomas got changed my life. Yeah, and she knows I am forever grateful. I uh, write notes to her. I thank her publicly. I, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she changed my life. It's incredible. Pretty, yeah. pretty incredible. incredible isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask these next two together just because they both just celebrated 40 years playing your on screen siblings, Beth Maitland, Tracy, and Eileen Davidson, Ashley. I literally. I get emotional talking about it. It's the Abbott family. It, it does something to me. It's hard to explain. When I'm on the set with those two women, my brother Billy and my kid Kyle, it, it is a kind of comfort I cannot explain. But I belong there. They belong there. And it just, yeah, it's magical. Um, uh, when we work together, um, it is not, it is not out of the realm of possibilities that someone is going to start a text change say, saying that was fun. And somebody else says, I love you guys. Oh my God, I love working with you. And it goes on and on for a few hours. It's a love fest. And those two women were the first ones here. Um, they were the ones that set this whole thing up. They were the ones that built this. They were the ones that were here when, when they were part of a very important contingent in this cast who brought this show to number one. In, and it's never left. And we should forever be grateful to those two. They're, uh, they're both wonderful actors. Eileen Davidson and I fight and squabble just the same way that, that, that Ashley and Jack do uh, with 
tremendous love and annoyance. Uh, <laughs> Beth Maitland Beth is the pure love that you see uh, when you watch the screen. She is the embodiment of, of selfless, kind love. Um, yeah, they're, they're giant people in my life, and, and I love them. God, Peter, you're emotional, too. It's just, I do, I do. It's just nice to, like, really, when everyone says, we're a family, we're a family, but you hear you, to see you and hear oh. you speaking that way, you know that it's true. Yeah. Um, it's, my, my, Mary Ellen asks me all the time when I'm going to work, so who are you working with today? And when I say uh, Eileen and Beth, she just knows, oh, he's going to have a good day. That's so great. Um, now, what about Sharon Case, who plays Sharon, who Jack was married to? Sharon Case is is a, a great example for everybody uh, that that I, I, I tell about uh, new people. Uh, Sharon Case has her own bent on how she wants the story to go, how she wants the things to go. But when you're doing a scene with Sharon Case, and it says in the Sam, I call it the Samuel French in parenthetical things. You know, um, uh, Sharon is bothered by this, but covers as best she can. Those kind of things. Sharon Case plays every single point in a scene, unerring, every single a point, uh, a, a dramatic turning point does not happen, does not happen that Sharon doesn't play. She, she, is, uh, she is there. Again, she has her own uh, bent on how she wants stories to go, and we all have our own likes and dislikes, but Sharon Case um, plays everything they write for her. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Uh, what about Jeannie Francis, the aforementioned, who played Genevieve? Jeannie Francis, uh, it was a joy to have her here. She came in and, uh, and you know, and she's one of the legends of daytime television. You know, we talked about the crest of the wave. If anybody wrote the crest of the wave, it was Jeannie Francis. And she was immediately accessible and lovely and talked about her children and her husband and, uh, and was terrific and, uh, and a very good kisser. <laughs> and this, you know, part of my job is uh, kissing all these people. And uh, Jeannie Francis had a nice kiss. Good to know. Um, yeah. What about Stacey Heiduck, who played Patty and is also now known as Daisy's Kristen and Susan? Yeah, Stacey Heiduck was all of that energy and excitement she brought every single time. You couldn't do a run through with Stacey without her committing totally to it. She was so in the scene. Wait, we're just running lines. No, <laughs> Stacy doesn't. Stacy doesn't just run lines. Stacy acts this scene every opportunity you give her, and and I think she's wonderful on Days of Our Lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She is. What about Mara West, ex Diane? Mara West and I. Uh, it was very funny. I was in Vegas at a, at a one, still another of the daytime Emmys. And the then head of CBS daytime, Barbara Bloom, uh, came up to me and said, pull me aside and said, I'm this close to getting Amora West to come and play Diane opposite you. And I said, I am delighted with that news. I was well aware of, of uh, the work that she and Michael Park did and, and I mean, that she and everybody else on that show did. Um, so I was delighted with that. She came to, to Genoa City and worked with absolutely every guy on the show except me. <laughs> 
I barely, I literally barely worked with her. The little I did, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it, I felt robbed. I felt totally robbed uh, because uh, she, she came here on fire. Yeah, yeah, she's a good actress. And what she does on General Hospital is nothing but stunning. Uh, what about Katie McLean, who played Kelly, also known as All My Children's Dixie, and now Days is Jennifer. So uh, Katie came in and replaced um, uh, somebody who was yeah, in yeah. General Hospital. Um, and, uh, and it was a very difficult thing. It was mid-story. They threw her into it. And, uh, and I was very thankful that I'd had a long relationship with, with Katie going back to all my children. So I was always an admirer of hers. I always found her so pretty and so smart. And uh, she came and they just... She got crazier and crazier and crazier uh, here, uh, and and she wanted to play the part of getting crazy, and we were already halfway there. So, um, so uh, she had a very difficult job here and did it brilliantly. And what about another uh, replacement actress, Gina Tognoni? Gina Tognoni is a genuinely kind sincere, lovely person with a whole lot of talent. Gina came in for a role. Gina would be the first person to tell you, I, I should not be cast in this role. This is not who I naturally am. This is not what I do. And made the role her own. And, and I encouraged her as best I could. That's the job. I replaced somebody too. Uh, every new person that comes in here as a replacement has a great friend in Peter Bergman. And uh, and what she turned it into when she went up to get her Emmy Award, um, I think I was far more excited than her husband. <laughs> I, I was just, just thrilled. She had worked very, very hard for that. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we purposely didn't include Michelle Stafford, who plays Phyllis, and Susan Walters, who plays Diane on that list, because they are so key to your current and very interesting storyline as Jack. Um, but Jack and Phyllis recently split, but tell us how it felt to reteam with Michelle and play out another chapter of that love story. I don't know how the chemistry thing works. People talk about it, you know. I just know how it feels. And I'm on set with Michelle Stafford, and she's not playing anything like it says on the script. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't know what she's playing. But I respond to it. And we go in, an, in a direction they did not intend, they did not plan. And before it's all over, I am just, I'm having so much fun because um, it's a little dangerous. It's a little crazy. And I've been doing this long enough that dangerous and crazy is really exciting. <laughs> I really like it. And, uh, and Michelle and I just look good together, I'm told. And it just works. Um, it just works. Um, uh, she's a very talented actress. Um, a more spontaneous actress you are not going to find. She is so in the scene um, that, that uh, yeah, you, 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 you can't find anybody more quicksilver, spontaneous. If you trigger something in her, she's playing it. She's playing it. And, uh, and it's fun. We have, a, we have a fun time working together. Uh, and let's then let's get to Susan Walters. <laughs> Susan Walters. Um, I was I had eye surgery. I my retina collapsed. Oh, it's just terrible. I'm at home. 
It was the strangest recovery. I'm looking down for for uh, uh, 50 minutes of every hour for seven days, Gosh. looking straight down. It, it, it was just a terrible recovery time. And in that recovery time, I got a call from Josh Griffith, our head writer, and Danielle Unger, the, the, the CBS exec that's in charge of our show. And they said, okay, we want to tell you a couple of things. We are in the process of rebuilding the Abbott family to to a kind of prominence that it deserves. Uh, and I said, no better news could come my way. I'm thrilled with that. And part of that plan is to bring back somebody that was here in the past. And I'm thinking, who could that be? And I run through all the possibilities and everything. And Susan Walters did not come to mind. And as soon as they told me, I thought, brilliant, brilliant. Got on the cell phone as soon as I was done with them. I still have Susan Walter's number. I call her. She's in Vancouver shooting a show and she's walking in, in uh, was it Bryant Park. Is it? No, no. Stanley Park in, in Vancouver. And we had the, the most fun talking about her, her returning to the show. Mary Ellen said to me the other day, Susan's actually better than even I remembered her. She's very, I said, she is. She has shaken up this show. Her work is so specific. I tell you about Michelle and, and that, that, that Quicksilver, it's, 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 it's free form. It's, Susan is so specific. You better know what you're doing in the scene because Susan has no question about what she's doing in the scene. And everybody has been woken up by that. Everybody. She's so intentional. She's so clear. She's so well rehearsed and, and ready to work. Um, it's, it's been really fun for me. Really, really fun for me to have Susan back. Oh, this is yeah. this is fun talking talking about this. You're, you're yeah, setting the bar so this much higher. <laughs> yeah, totally. I have I have had so many amazing actresses in my life. But isn't it isn't it so interesting? I think uh, piggybacking on what you were saying about Susan, how there are just certain pebbles that create just the right ripples in the pond of a show, you know? Yep. And, and I completely agree with your assessment that it's just been such a shot of adrenaline. Can, uh, I, can, I, can I add to that, Mara, that if the three of us were asked, so they're thinking about bringing Diane back, <laughs> you have probably had the same reaction I did. Um, um, I think I think that'll cause ripples. I think that'll shake things up. Certainly, Phyllis is going to be thrilled. Um, but but oh, the impact she's had, the ripples she's caused, have been so much larger than any of us expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we three are, are, you know, people who watch soap operas and and know how this works. Right. Um, Susan surprised all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, Michael Mueller, who plays your Genoa City son, Kyle, told Digest that he was sworn to secrecy about Diane's resurrection and promptly called you to dish about it, which might be <laughs> one of my favorite stories ever. Um, but what does it mean to you that Michael also returned to the show as part of this story? Yeah, that, that, that was giant, giant news to me. It was a terrible loss, a mistake made and, and a mistake corrected. And too often we don't get to correct our mistakes. And, and so getting him back was, was phenomenal. He's, 
he's just a giant of a guy. My wife gets mad at me whenever I say this. That boy was raised well. He has smart parents. He had good parenting. Um, he knows when to ask the right questions. He knows when to be silent, when to get involved. He knows he's just a good observer. He's smart and he's talented. And, and all of those things uh, uh, make, him, make him a really, really great addition to the Abbott set. Everyone loves him this way. Uh, talk to the girls about him. Same thing. They all love him. Uh, uh, Jason Thompson loves him. Uh, Michael Mueller's a very, very special young guy uh, who who brings this, still has this wonderful sense of uh, purity to his character that he can't shake. You know, every once in a while he gets ticked off or he needs to manipulate a situation and things like that. And he has character underneath there that he can't he can't walk around. It's it's uh, it's a lovely thing. Uh, and dishing with him about Susan was fun because she's from Atlanta. He's from Atlanta. Um, uh, Michelle, uh, excuse me, Melissa Ordway's from Atlanta. Um, uh, uh, Allison, the, our, our, our new summer is from Atlanta. We're getting invaded by Atlanta right now. <laughs> Southern charm and generous. Yeah. Southern <laughs> yeah. charm. Damn, it gets me every time. <laughs> so I think that the uh, the first time Jack and Diane or saw each other again, you know, the first when Jack realized she was alive, that was such a hotly anticipated moment and made for such great television. What do you remember about shooting those scenes and actually working with Susan for the first time in a, in a, in a hot minute. I was, I was thrilled, you know, that this was coming up and you, you rehearse it and you go through it and you run lines and you get to that moment where you turn around and there is a person you knew was dead. No question in your life, mind. She's dead and she's standing there. Um, hard thing to play as an actor. And I kind of felt like we pulled it off. I kind of felt like it was, it, you know, without, oh my God, it was just stunned silence. And then his first thing was anger. Who are you? What do you, what is, this is some kind of ugly joke. What is, you know, and, uh, and she's, yeah, again, she is spot on, very specific. So, she gives you something to play with. I always love one of my favorite things that Susan does is when you finally corner her and t and at, corner Diane to say, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. You stop this right now. I know what you're up to. You got to, she apologizes. I say, okay, I accept that apology. Don't do it again. And they cut to her. And then there's this little half a smile that happens in there that the audience sees that sometimes Jack doesn't see. And I just love that. I, I, she, there's a little, there's mischief in there always. It's always there. She will have a moment of such sincerity and truth. And then there's a little half smirk. You know, I love it. That's um, now let's talk about the Jack and Phyllis breakup. Do you understand why Jack chose to end things? And how do you feel about that? Yeah, I... I <laughs> I think Jack has tiptoed into this as carefully as he could. Um, he is not ready to have his heart broken. Um, unlike Phyllis, he didn't get on with it. He didn't get on with his life and start falling in love with other people and everything like that. He's been alone for a very long time. And he's been thinking about this forever. And it looks like 
Phyllis wants to, as carefully as he does, tiptoe into this, whatever this is going to be. And he values the friendship and he values that they still have something and he doesn't want to endanger that. And so he's probably being too careful. They're both being too careful. They travel to L.A. together and they they come back and suddenly out of nowhere, she's ready to take it, you know, not two steps up, five steps up. Suddenly he's in bed with her and, and we're uh, 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 and he gives over to it. I mean, what could be nicer than this? This is great. Jack is just quote Michelle Stafford. Oh, no, I can't quote Michelle Stafford. <laughs> he hasn't had anything like this in a long time. Anyway, um, I, Jack is thrilled. And Jack thinks, wow, I guess all that patience paid off. We are now to the next step in the biggest way. Wow, this is so cool. And then walks in on the explanation for why that happened. And he realizes, uh, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is too close to hurt. This is, I, I've had experienced much too much pain. I, I have always argued, Phyllis and Jack never fell out of love. They just, it was too, it got to be too painful. They both had to step away from it. And now they stepped back in and it was safe and it was good. And then Jack realizes safe and good. No, this was an opportunity to stick it to Diane. So maybe Jack overreacted, but Jack has been protecting his heart so much that at the first sign that, oh no, this we're heading back into the old thing. No, I, I, I'm not doing this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I hope that played. Maybe it frustrated the audience, but I, I hope that played. Um, just, I, I can't do this. I can't get hurt again. Mm -hmm. um, not not all, always the strongest choice that you could make, but Jack has been through a lot with her, a lot. Indeed. <laughs> uh, so if you had your druthers, like, would that be a door that's closed permanently? Or do you think that Jack's pull to Phyllis should always be an underlying reality in his life? I think it is the greatest love of Jack's life that he will never fully get over even when he's with someone else. Mm -hmm. I don't think he'll ever get over that. Jack grew up in country club life. He was a silver spoon guy. And he, there were all these girls at the club and Jack loved him some girls at the club and they were all terrific. And Diane was one of them. And there, there were all these, you know, girls who, yeah, Jack, they, they grew up the same way Jack did. And it was a Phyllis was the absolute opposite. He was, she was like no woman that he was ever with, no girl he ever knew. She was so unique to him and he was gobsmacked. He was just so taken and, and all of the differences that frustrate him, that make him angry as hell at her are also, there's, there's something about it that touches his heart. She is who she says she is. Jack is so busy sometimes couching his words carefully. She doesn't think to do that once. Doesn't cross her mind. And he loves that. 
he loves being around that. And she's she's definitely a, a candy for the eyes as, as well. It's, it's wow. Um, so, so yeah, he, I don't think he's ever going to fully get over her. Do I think it's ever going to work out for the two of them? I'm interested to know that too. Mm-hmm. Time will tell. Um, so the last time you were on the podcast, you talked about the issues you'd had with the original Luan story, which you felt created a sort of implausible dichotomy in your character who was ruthless and manipulative at work, and then the sweetest, most caring person in his personal life. So your take essentially was that the story required Jack to not be Jack. So over the years, there's been a lot of fan chatter about the erasure of chemo, you know, Jack's son with her. So I'm curious how you felt about that aspect of the story that Jack was scripted not to be a presence in his adult son's life. So I probably played as big a role as anyone else in making that happen. Um, I, it was not my favorite story. Um, there was implausibility issues. The chemo thing was, was a stretch too far uh, then in comes this guy, Philip Moon, who looks nothing like me in any way at all. But uh, it's, yeah, it's, there were so many things that were kind of implausible and all, all that, that if they never mentioned chemo or lawn again, I would have been pumped. So it was the same phone call where they told me about Susan Walters that they said, we're also going back to touch on chemo. And uh, they said, uh, well, we, we, we don't wanna, we don't wanna make Jack a bad father. I said, you can make me as bad a father as you want. Yeah, I, I, I think Jack dropped the ball there. I think Jack just tried and tried. And when he was finally rebuffed the last time by chemo, he said, okay, I'm not gonna try anymore. And he stopped trying. Well, he didn't tell his family. He didn't tell anyone. He was ashamed of that. He was not comfortable with that. I was just fine with that. And the writers were very careful to, you know, to, but you really tried. Well, yeah, he really tried, but you should, should never have stopped trying. And, I, and so I kind of was able to build that part into what they were writing that it was a source of shame for Jack, that uh, Mr. Family, the guy who's all about family, really let that thing go, really dropped the ball on that. And then, of course, chemo's dead. And there's no doing anything about it. There's no doing, that chapter is closed, completely closed, until he gets these text messages and finds out eventually that door is not only not closed, that door just blew wide open and in walks this adorable, lovely Kelsey Wang, um, who is just has this sparkle about her that she can't hide, um, who is, you know, Jack got cut himself out of a life with lawn, a life with chemo. He is not making this mistake again. So maybe he errs on the side of diving in too, too quickly, but he dives in. And it, there's been real payoff for, for, for me as an actor to, to have this girl show up at my house and actually live in the Abbott house. Um, it has brought so much life to this house that I sit in. Um, yeah, it's, that, that's been a fun story turn. She's lovely. Well, I'm going to detour just for one second to clarify that you're on a Zoom with the Abbott living room as your backdrop. 
And tell us, uh, you were telling us before we started recording about uh, the significance of this set uh, that, that you recognize. So, so there's a green screen behind me and uh, the powers that be put a nice uh, picture of the uh, Abbott living room set behind me. And uh, recently we celebrated uh, Eileen and Beth, uh, uh, that's, that's Ashley and Tracy's 40th anniversary on the show. And I was kind of the master of ceremonies and I was sharing the story that 40 years ago, uh, John Abbott uh, went off to pick up Ashley at college and Tracy at her boarding school where she just graduated and uh, brought them home to this set that I'm standing in. We, they, they, the ceremony took place in, in, in the Abbott set. And I realized, oh my God, it is the actual set from 40 some years ago and it hasn't changed. And the audience knows that, uh, but, but what the audience probably hasn't noticed is the only set that hasn't changed. It is the only set from that era that is still there, this old, dusty old relic of a, a, a set is still there and I love it. I, it's, it's, it's old money, it's the Abbots. They didn't buy that chair, they, they inherited that chair from, you know, Auntie Mildred. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and that, may she rest uh, in peace. <laughs> may she rest in peace. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, this, this set uh, has not changed. And, and I hope it never changes. It's, it's, it's the Abbott living room. Right. Yeah. I think that says so much for the audience and just kind of speaks to in a bigger picture why soaps just, you know, are so enduring and endearing is that these are friends, this is family, like we, this is stuff we recognize. And when it's yeah. the same, you have that really special sense of familiarity with the people mm -hmm. in it and just the show itself. So I do during, that. During, I yeah, during COVID, of course, we had fewer and fewer uh, tours of the set. Every once in a while, somebody knows somebody and gets a tour of the set. We used to see this quite often. And whenever they did take these tours, they'd look around and there's a set with lights and, oh, oh wait, that's the Avid Living Room. Right. It always happened. Wait, that's the Avid Living Room. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great for, for, for visiting, visiting audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, so, so neat. Uh, now, speaking of the legacy of the Abbots, the death of John Abbott was obviously a pivotal and defining moment in Jack's life and in the life of the whole Abbott family. And sadly, his portrayer, Jerry Douglas, passed away late last year, shortly before his 89th birthday. But just shy of that, you and some of your co-stars got to see him and celebrate and honor him. Um, so tell us about the time you got to spend with him for his birthday. Jerry Douglas uh, has been a part of my life for a lot of years, and and uh, I stayed in touch with him, and I had a lunch with him or a breakfast with him uh, up until Eileen Davidson got in touch with us and said, "Hey, Jerry's got a birthday coming up. Um, let's let's do this." And I thought, um, "Okay, uh, yeah, I just saw Jerry the other day, but yeah, let's do that." And and uh, and Jerry's been struggling with his health a, a bit, and, and I thought, "Yeah, he he could probably do this." And so Kim, uh, his wife, and Eileen talked about when we would do this, and I thought, "Yeah, this is this is fine. This is great." And Jerry showed up and shared with us when he got there that 
uh, he, his, they had had to park far away. Um, it's just the way things worked out with the restaurant. And then they had to walk upstairs to us. And so Jerry, who was pretty frail at the time, was pretty exhausted by the time he got there and walked in the, the room. And there was there were windows behind all of us. There were a good eight of us sitting at the table. Uh, Laura Lee Bell was there, uh, uh, Christine and uh, and uh, Tracy Bregman, Lauren and and uh, uh, Beth Maitland. And, and uh, uh, anyway, we were all standing there to welcome him. And there was this bright light behind us that we we did, we weren't aware of when Jerry walked in the room and he explained to us later that when I first walked in, I've been thinking a lot about my life and what it's going to be like when it ends. And suddenly there was this bright white light and all of you were there. And I thought, Oh my gosh, what, what is that? And we thought, Oh my God, he thought for a moment he had died and gone to heaven and we were there. It was just fabulous. It was just fabulous. Jerry was a, a, a force of nature. He did not hold back. He just loved us all. It was so, so normal to get a phone call from Jerry Douglas, a message on my, my voicemail saying, hey, it's Jerry. Just watch the scene with you and Eileen. You guys were great. God, that was fantastic. What a good scene. You look great. Talk to you later. Give me a call. <laughs> Nothing to gain from that. Just just wanted to say something nice. Um, a really, really terrific guy. And it turns out Eileen had some prescience, had some ability to see that this might be a last opportunity. How she knew that, I don't know, but he died sh very shortly after that. It was crazy. Then we all went to uh, to a memorial service for him that was uh, that was touching and wonderful. And there was a quite a showing from YNR. When Jerry died, my life changed here at YNR. And by that, I mean, when his character died, when John Abbott died, Jack became kind of de facto the head of the family. And I was able to embrace that somewhat but it didn't feel like an earned thing. It's felt like well, I'm the head of the family. No, the head of the family's dad. Well, I know he's gone, but still the head of the family's dad. And when Jerry died, I kind of felt like, yeah, I'm now the head of the Abbott family mm -hmm. in a way that, in a way I probably couldn't fully embrace it when it first happened. Yeah, it changed my job here. I am the head of the Abbott family, and I have responsibilities that Jack never had before. He's the head of the Abbott family. Yeah. Well, Peter, as we come to the, the end of our second podcast with you, I'm, I'm struck again by how remarkable your stories are, uh, what an eloquent uh, storyteller you are, and what a wonderful ambassador you are for our genre. And I'm so grateful that we got to spend this time with you again. Our cup runneth over. <laughs> um, but before we let you go, um, can you tell us what it means to you that when you started your daytime career in 1979, you were a self-described snob about the genre? But you not only fell in love with it, it fell in love with you too. And now over 40 years later, 
you're still driving story. You're an essential part of the fabric of YNR, the patriarch of the Abbott family, as we just touched on, and on the precipice of possibly adding a fourth daytime Emmy to your collection. It's an amazing journey that I have been on. You're right. When I first started on All My Children, I was a theater actor. What am I doing? <laughs> and I quickly learned, uh, oh, these the people who are good on this show are really good. And then I tried to emulate what I saw and found, you know, uh, the, the, just the real challenge in making this good. But when I, I started watching and the best stuff, the best stuff and the stuff that grabs an audience is not shrieking and crying and lifting up the car while they pull your dead child out from under and why oh, you broke my heart. The magic moments, the moments that you and I have been watching for decades now are the moments where we see her change her mind. We saw it. We were there. He's in the set with her and he doesn't know she just changed her mind. Those moments are such food for an actor. I don't know where else you get to have that rich an experience on a regular basis. Jack has discoveries that overwhelm him on a semi-regular basis. Where do you, where do you, where's an actor get to do that? Um, yeah, I learned to respect the medium. I learned to respect the people in it. I became a student of daytime. I watched plenty of other, I still do it. I'm in my dressing room. No, I'm not sitting at home waiting for the soaps to come on. But when I'm in my dressing room and there's a monitor in there, I am watching other shows and seeing what other people are doing and what works and what doesn't work to this day. Um, the best people in daytime television are so good. It's unbelievable. There are people here who just started who aren't as good as some of the other actors that are, you know, but all in all, the best people in daytime television are worth emulating or worth trying to be as good as. And I am really happy to be in that competition to try to be as good as the four other guys that are in my category this year. I think we can confirm that you are one of the good ones in <laughs> yes. so many ways. And I mean, as I said earlier, you have now set the bar even higher. So now Mara and I have something else to dine out on with every podcast about how good you were to talk to. So we thank you so much for your time today you. and just everything and just you being you. Thank you, ladies. I, I, I know how long we three have been in this business, and I am grateful to talk to people who know exactly what I'm talking about all the time. Uh, that doesn't happen to me all the time. So I'm very grateful for this, this fun conversation. Mm -hmm. And we are too. And best of luck at the Emmys. We will be watching and rooting, and um, we do hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Peter Bergman for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.